Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Welcome. Hi there. To the pod- <laughs> I'm, I'm welcome. <laughs> welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, Demystifying HR and Management. It is wonderful when I have somebody who's so enthusiastic um, on, on my podcast as a guest. And I'd like to introduce you to my dear friend, Malcolm White. Malcolm's a tugboat captain. He, like many of us, didn't know what he wanted to do when he uh, got out of high school. But with a love of being on the water and many jobs as a fishing guide, the lit- ocean literally ran through this man's veins, he pursued that and it spurred him uh, to his current position and a career on the water, the one that he's loved. Now, one doesn't just become a tugboat captain. So Malcolm's going to share his journey, the training required to start that career in this field and some of the adventures that he has enjoyed and experienced over the years. I can't wait to hear about those. Malcolm, thank you. I really appreciate your being here. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know that I've gotten you between shifts because even with Mm -hmm. your extensive seniority, it's still very much a career that that includes shift work, but also back from a fishing expedition that I understand was quite successful. Yes, we did well. So even in your spare time. Yeah, still time on the water. That's wonderful, actually. I want to know a little bit more about what drew you initially to becoming a fishing guide. You know, we have all sorts of different jobs that we do when we're, we're in high school. And then pursuing that further, because I know lots of people who were fishing guides, and I, I'm not actually aware of anybody that, that continued that on to become their career. So can you share more about the why for you? Sure. Um, You know, when I got out of high school, like you said earlier, I really had no idea what I was going to do. I kind of bounced around from job to job. But the one thing I did know is I I wanted to work outdoors. I didn't want to work in an office. My father had worked in insurance for years upon years, driving downtown, working in a big office tower. And I thought, not for me. So in my bouncing around of job to job, I ended up working the two summers as a fishing guide. And I used to see the tugs going by with their toes. And I thought, wow, that looks like a really cool job. I think it's something I could do. I knew nothing about the industry. I didn't know about hours. I didn't know about pay. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So coming back from my summers up there guiding, I did a bit of research and uh, I ended up taking a, a deckhand course, which was available back in those days. That's since has changed, but it was a basic deckhand course. I took that in East Vancouver on Dundas Street. There was a maritime center there. Mm-hmm. So I had that 
hip pocket. And then I started going to the union halls and I just waited and waited and finally got shipped out, did a couple of short-term jobs, and then finally got on a comp- with a company called Shields Navigation. Okay. And I worked there for about a year. And that was a great introduction into the towboat industry. However, the, you know, works slowdowns and such. And uh, being one of the junior crews, I ended up getting laid off. So back into the union hall, hanging around another length of time before I got mm-hmm. shipped out of the company I'm with now currently. And here we are 40 years later. Wow. So I'm, I'm interested. You, you talked about taking courses for deckhand. And I, mm-hmm. I did go on the, the BCIT uh, Marine Training Institute website, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And there's an extensive list of required courses, uh, quite complex courses. So you must have had to take some additional training beyond the deckhand training to progress to, to being a captain. Yeah, of course. So nowadays, that deckhand course per se doesn't exist. So now it's called the Bridge Watchman's course. Oh, okay. So that, if anybody was going to get into the industry, and work with most of companies. There are some non-union companies, smaller companies that wouldn't require it. But for the bigger companies, you have to get the Bridge Watchman certificate. And I believe it's about a 13-week course. So that's step one. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you do your time in as a deckhand. And it's um, generally takes about three years of sea time uh, to get up to the next level, which would be your watchkeeping mates ticket. And that three years is uh, determined on eight hours a day times 52 weeks, which oh. in real life, nobody could work that. We work 12-hour shifts, so it generally takes about five to six years mm-hmm. to get that three-year seat time. And then having done that, you get it accredited at the DOT, Department of Transportation. And then you go to school and you take the courses and uh, you get your watchkeeping mates. And that's the first step. Now, in the towboat industry, it's fairly simple. It's not rocket science. Uh, it's really only a two- or three-step process. So you get your watchkeeping mates. Um, and again, it may be different nowadays, but back in my day, there was a command endorsement, which you got after, and that enabled you to run any vessel up to a certain tonnage. And so that's all that's really required to run a tugboat in, uh, in most companies. So you would, in the three-step process, working outside on the coastal tugs, mm-hmm. you would start as a deckhand, accumulate your sea time, take your courses, and you could start as the mate, and then later, as you got a command endorsement, you could then become captain of one of the outside tugs. Uh, for the yarding tugs, because we have both coastal tugs and yarding tugs, uh, the yarding tugs are shift tugs. You go home at the end of every shift, every day mm-hmm. you go home, different as opposed to going to sea for two weeks at right. a time. Right. So for the yarding tugs, it's a two-step process. It's just myself and the deckhand. We only have two-man crews. So the deckhand, again, accumulates his time, takes the uh, mate's course, and mm-hmm. gets his endorsement and works his way up to becoming captain so that's you it. Make it you make it sound simple but I well, know it's... put in the time and yeah but it's really that's it's only a two or three step process to become captain yeah you know it's interesting because in taking taking a look at the courses um you know the chart work and pilotage media meteorology um you know, having to assess the weather, advanced fire training. I'm assuming that in the training that you've taken, you know, all of those are circumstances that you could find yourself in and sort of going to need that expertise. Um, so I can't, I can't imagine that some of those are, I would think they'd probably be quite complex courses. Yeah, they are uh, to a certain degree. They're not, uh, you know, again, when I took the watchkeepers course, it was a semester style, so it was two semesters, one year in length, yeah. and then the 
it was another, I think it was six weeks or something to get that certificate. And at the end of your uh, watchkeeping mates ticket, you have to do the orals, which is an mm -hmm. oral examination by a Coast Guard uh, examiner. And same with after you pass your, uh, your command endorsement, you also have to go through another set of orals. So those are a little, a little hard to get through, but once you've done that, uh, yeah, you're in. Yeah. And one thing to remember about these courses, um, you know, the training for seafarers worldwide is very standardized. And so the tickets that we get from navigation school, your, your watchkeepers, your command endorsement, so on, um, they're all international tickets. So you, oh, can, you can use them anywhere in the world and you can sail you know, practically on any vessel anywhere in the world. So if you wanted to go into the merchant marine, you could use these same tickets. If you wanted to work on cruise ships, again, these tickets are applicable. So as a captain, mm -hmm. you could be a captain of a cruise ship or does that depend on the ton? Is there a tonnage limit? Yeah, well, you would have to go much more advanced than the watchkeeper's okay. mates, various other levels to work your way up that. To be captain oh, of a okay. ship, you'd have to become a master mariner, which is a, the highest point of our training, so to okay. speak. Okay, okay. Oh, excellent. Hmm. And of course, because they're actually specifying time that you've got to spend on the water, you're practicing what you're learning. So Absolutely. in some ways, it's kind of an apprenticeship program. If that is exactly choose, right. Yeah, if yeah. you're choosing to continue to um, sort of work your way up the ladder in areas of responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to look at it, and I certainly did. Your, your deckhand time is your apprenticeship time. So you use that time wisely. I would definitely give that as a tip. You want to take mm -hmm. in everything. You want to ask questions, and you want to watch how the skipper does his approaches and his landings and his navigation and so on, and you can learn a lot through that. Mm -hmm. And so when the time comes, um, you gain your experience and you get to know various captains in the company. They'll mm -hmm. let you boat a little bit. They'll let you maybe pick up a barge or maybe land a barge. Um, so you get your boat handling skills in early. And mm -hmm. then when you've got your certification, then it's just that much easier to make the, the, the uh, transgression from, from deck hand up to skip. Yeah. Back, so. Now, you, you reference he, and I suspect that it's primarily um, males that are um, attracted to this career? Um, yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's it's predominantly men. Okay. Sure. Are, yeah. Are do you see more women starting to? Um, we do have an well, at our company. We do have one uh, female captain, and we okay. do have a couple of three, I believe, uh, female deckhands. So they're they're slowly coming into the industry. But uh, okay. And again, you know, hopefully through podcasts like this, others might be encouraged that it would be a career that they love as well. I. I know lots of people that yeah, very really. much, very yeah. much uh, love being on the water. Well, whilst on the topic of the certificates, though, um, as I mentioned, they're international tickets. So they are very much um, deep sea centric. So what I mean by that is you are learning about deep seas, cargo ships, container ships, and such, when you take your training. So even the course names, general ship knowledge, that's, as it says, learning about ships and, and uh, construction, ship construction. That's how ships are constructed. Um, stability that also is how to load a cargo ship so some of these courses aren't really applicable to the towboat industry but you've still got to go through them nonetheless because it's an international ticket and yeah I actually found, found that in the basic boating course of you know I'm a power boater or was a power mm -hmm. boater and yeah I had to learn an awful lot about sailboats <laughs> <laughs> so similarly and also with the work that you're doing right now I, I'm sure that that helps because now you're guiding the, the huge freighters into uh, into port and into dock 
and having a good understanding of, of how those those freighters are constructed. I'm sure, you know, although I think, are there marks on the sides of the freighters that is, is where the, the tugboats position themselves? Yeah, there are, on, on most ships, there's tug marks, but we don't always use them. <laughs> um, sometimes you want to be a little more forward of that position or, or aft of for various reasons, but uh, yeah. And, and I know understanding weather um, is one of the, the, the uh, courses that you would take because I'm sure that that comes into consideration. Oh, yeah. yeah, especially on the outside boats, the coastal tugs, they're very, they're very aware of the weather conditions. And, uh, and we have a minimal amount of weather equipment on the boats in terms of, uh, we have our basic uh, you know, an anemometer, which is your wind, wind mm -hmm. indicator, barometer. Some boats have hygrometers. Um, so we have those basic things. But generally, you'll just go onto the VHF radio channels, the Coast Guard channels, and get your weather reports there, forecast. Okay you know, weather reports from various stations, they'll give you wind, you know, winds and wind strengths and wave heights and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. the guys on the outside boats, they really develop a real sixth sense for the weather and how the weather is being oh, and so on. For us in the, uh, the yarding fleet, it's not as critical. You know, mm -hmm. we can, especially in the harbor where I currently work, it's, I mean, it would have to be a hurricane for us to stop working. So we, uh, we just carry mm -hmm. on. And, and another it thing- can, it, can, it can get pretty rough just, you know, off the coast here. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It just, and what, what wind can do, you know, when yeah. you're... Oh, yeah. And it it affects how you make your landings. When you go to land a barge, you have to take mm -hmm. all these, these uh, the weather into, you know, into uh, consideration. And along with that, as well as tides, we also have to be very aware of tides. Yeah. And, you know, opposing wind and tide, you'll build up a bigger swell, which is something to think about if you've got to tow a barge in through, say, first narrows, mm -hmm. like a narrow... And also, again, with getting back to tide with uh, various narrows and passages up and down the coast, they're, they're very tidal sensitive. So you want to be mm -hmm. there. So that yeah. becomes, and in the harbor, second narrows, most of the, most of the transits are at uh, slack tide. So yeah. you have to be aware. Yeah. Well, you can see when the, the tides are changing, the, um, you, you can, you, it's visible. So oh, yeah. that, that's got to be, be having an impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to take us to a little bit of a different area. And, and when I was doing some of my own research, a lot of what I learned about was U.S., but if the certification is international, then probably some of, the, some of what I found is, is relevant, that you can't have convictions for certain crimes, um, including, <laughs> and I thought this, murder, fraud, terrorism, espionage, drug distribution, and arson. <laughs> <laughs> now, some of those make sense. Um, yeah. Do you know whether it's the same in Canada? And, and of course, there um, may be times when tug, tugboats have to cross the border. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest, if that's if that's the case as far as getting your ticket with a with, you know with criminal uh, record. I don't know, but I do know that if you you can't work on the outside tugs if you do have certain convictions, um, anything that would stop you from crossing a land border, hmm. you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to get across because. When we take our toes down stateside, we still, we're still subject to customs and immigration. So if you had any kind of a record that would stop you at the land border, it'll stop you there too. So okay. you can. And I know there's other skills required. Um, I read that you have to have keen awareness. That makes sense. Strong leadership qualities and grace under pressure. And actually, when I take a look at the BCIT Marine Training Institute website, um, there are actually courses in leadership and teamwork and communications. 
you'd shared that you work with one other individual, but I'm sure that how the two of you, you're, you, you need to be, and especially where there's difficult weather conditions or something's happening with the, the freighter or the, the ship that you're bringing in, that that ability to, uh, to work together as a team and to communicate must be huge. Yeah, it is critical. I think communication is one of the most important things in our job, whether we're uh, moving a barge and it's just my deck and myself or other deck ends off other vessels, other assist tugs and the captains that I have to work with. We all have to work together, communicate together well. And same with docking a ship. There's communication from the pilot to us. It has to be clear, concise. So we have to understand to do the job properly. And you know, the deckhands, one of their jobs is to be my eyes up on a barge. You know, if I'm towing a barge or strapped alongside a barge, I can't see the inboard side, the side that's going to go to a dock or a ship or right. whatever it be. So that deckhand becomes my eyes up there. And he kind of, you know, walks me in, so to speak. He tells me distance is off. And if we're parallel or is the bow ahead of the stern or, or that sort of thing. And then to line up on spot where we're going to go, whether we're going alongside a ship or we're going to put, uh, let's say, a bunker barge alongside a ship to, to line up the hose to the, okay. to the flange on the ship. I've got to know exactly where the, the landing is or if we're going to a refinery where we line up to, a, a you know, a, a, again, the same thing, a manifold or a, a, mm -hmm. a land. You know, so he, he sort of talks me in. So it's critical that we have communication and uh, I really depend on him to, you know, to do that for me. But you would also depend on your your deckhand or your workmate showing up. Well, that too. <laughs> they, they definitely so what, have to what, what happens in a situation where, you know, you've got a big freighter to bring in and, and you know, people get ill? Is there, did, do you work with the union hall then to bring someone else in to replace? Or, and how do you know their communication skills? What happens? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, assuming if they possibly in an accident or something weren't, weren't able to get to work, then... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to leave the dock, obviously. And okay. if they can get a deckhand off another vessel or get somebody short notice to come in quick, uh, do a call out, you know, maybe then we could get out on time. But, um, and, you know, with traffic in town, <laughs> some of the guys are late and sometimes mm -hmm. they're at the dock and in turn, and, and in turn getting late to the job. But yeah, yeah. So you can't leave dock without oh, your no. whole team. No. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. Not. yeah. So that, that dependent. And, um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, in the time, maybe not in the work that you're currently doing, but when you were working with the barges, you must have seen some pretty horrific weather. Um, oh, yeah. And, and any circumstances that you, you just went, oh, my goodness. Um, um, kind of wondering how you made it through. Yeah. Uh, well, there's probably many... Uh many instances where it was a bit nip and tuck, you know, with weather and swell and trying to get your barges back into the river when we used to tow down from Howe Sound. Um, but, uh, I don't, you know, I, I do recall one time when I came out to pick up a barge off an outside tub and the weather was just starting to build, but we thought we, you know, I talked to my deckhand, are you comfortable getting up in this swell onto the barge to get this empty? And he said, oh, sure, that should be okay. So I got him up there safely and we hooked up onto the barge took them away from the the outside tug started our way back into the river but as i went to run some of my tow line it sort of snagged on the on the winch and it ended up parting one of my bridles and bridles are what we use to tow on a barge we'll have two out to each corner of the barge to tow okay. on okay. Well, i lost barge uh, sorry Ooh. lost bridle and uh, my deck end is still up on the barge <gasps> yeah and uh and i 
I have to run some line because the swell is going to park my other bridle and I'm not going to have the barge at all. And this is just off. Or, the, or, or your workmate. Well, that was it. Yeah. My, my, uh, it, it, you know, the swell was building all the time. I had to start running line and I had to keep running line. And next thing you know, I've got 200 feet of line on, but I'm still surging on, on this last bridle. And uh, if that bridle was to snap, he would have gone flying up into the flats up somewhere up inside the, uh, the north arm there um, towards the airport, which wouldn't have been a good thing. So uh, I was able to call another tug out of the river. I called him on Channel 6 and he came out and, and managed to rescue the barge for us. But it was it was pretty nip and tuck. So. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, <laughs> and I, I remember when I was boating, watching, um, watching a line snap. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that was dangerous because those are what those are big steel yeah cables, yeah they right? yeah they're they're steel cables um they they um they can snap back somewhat some of the, the you know actual strands of it can come back towards you but they usually part fairly clean um mm. poly lines or tie-up lines those are very elastic they'll snap back and injure you if you're not careful so you have to be very aware of that and then the ship's lines that we use they're they're special specially designed um, lines for ship docking, whatnot, and they are actually designed to drop. So when they part, they just simply drop. They don't snap back at all. Oh, good, good. And I'm sure safety is a huge factor in oh, absolutely. responsibilities and, right. and uh, just ensuring that you come home safely. Yeah, exactly. And, and the others that you work with. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just look, taking a look at some of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I see, you know, you've answered a lot of them. Um, <laughs> color, color, normal color vision. Uh, I noticed was was rec- was required on a deckhand because uh, replacing worn cables. I guess you needed to see the the different colors. Has that been something? I just thought that was that was interesting and wouldn't have thought uh, that. Here, Lily, I don't think. I mean, certainly you ha- you can't be colorblind if you're going to become a uh, a mate or a captain. You've got to be able to tell red from green, you know, port from star. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> be color important. <laughs> um, so that is a factor for sure, and that would stop you right there. You would not be able to advance because you have, you can't be colorblind. Okay, okay. Well, then I'm glad I asked the question. Um, is there a typical day? Um, well, <laughs> not really. Your no? typical day is 12 hours long. I can tell you that much because that's the shifts that we work. But okay. uh, as per you know what happens in a day, not really. No. Um, when I go in, I have no idea whether I'll be doing predominantly ships or if I'll be towing barges or a bit of both. I have no idea till I get there. And so when you come in, you'll, you'll talk to the dispatcher and he'll give you one or two, maybe three jobs right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And when you complete those, you check in again and you see what the next work is. And sometimes you'll get a break. Maybe there isn't anything happening for an hour or two. Uh, and then you just go through the day like that. So let's talk about those shifts. It's 12 hours. Mm-hmm. What what's the kind of rotation that you do? Like how many days yeah. a week? Yeah, most companies are on week about or two weeks about. So you'll do a week on and a week off. Okay. Uh, so in our case, we do week of days, week off, and then week of nights. Um, oh, that's hard. Or yeah, <laughs> or on the coastal tugs, they're more like two weeks on and three weeks on, two to three weeks on and two to three weeks off. So that's a little longer duration. And they're at sea; they're gone the whole time. Whereas, of course, the shift tugs guys that work there we get to go home every night we do our 12 hours come back the next day and i guess that there's some some element of choice you know if that's important to you then you wouldn't perhaps pursue the 
the being away for three weeks and being home for three weeks. Yep. And is there a typical size of the vessel that you would assist? And, and I didn't realize that you also did uh, towing as well still. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, well, the ships range in size from 170 odd meters up to 350 odd meters. So they're, they're huge. Yeah, the biggest ones are the container ships that come into the port. They're, mm -hmm. they're the, I think the biggest one I've worked on was 360 meters, which is well over a thousand feet. So big ships. I know what it felt standing looking up at a cruise ship and how small I felt. It, it must feel similarly when you're down at the bottom on the water, you know, right yeah. alongside. Uh, when you're alongside the ships, all you see is hull. You have no idea what's going on on the other side. Yeah, that must, that must be, yeah. wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it <laughs> what's and I know when you're sharing about the um, uh, the situation that you've just shared with but what what would you say is the scariest incident that's happened to you in in your well, career I've had a few of them but I guess the one that I is on the top of my mind would be, would have been when my first summer running a tug so I was a freshly minted skipper and um uh, it was sent down to Roberts Bank to be a line boat. Now, a line boat um, works in conjunction with the docking tugs. So when a ship comes in, you'll, they'll have two or three docking tugs and a line boat. And once the ship is alongside the berth and it's a line boat, you come and take the lines from the okay. cruise, take them fast on the tug, and you run them out to the, to the dock or the buoy or whatever the situation is. So this particular day, I was headed down to Roberts Bank to be the line boat down there. And one of the tractor tugs had a mechanical issue, so they had to send a coastal tug down. And as the ship came in, the, the pilot put the tractor up on the bow, starboard bow, and he asked for the coastal tug to put his line up on the starboard quarter down by towards the stern of the ship. But when that captain came alongside, he said, no, I, I can't work that lead. I'll end up going in under the flare of the ship and bang up the, you know, the wheelhouse or the mm -hmm. tug itself. So he said, I'll have to go to the next lead up. And the next lead up was probably <laughs> like 200 feet up the ship. So not an ideal situation because you want to be as far after, as far mm -hmm. forward and be on a ship for leverage. And also I might add too, um, tractor tugs are much more efficient at ship docking than a conventional tug. So it's, he also had that disadvantage. Okay. So the pilot was quite concerned about, uh, you know, control of his stern and the quarter of the ship. So he asked me to come onto the port side and watch his quarter as we go in. Ooh. And that was all fine. And we came into the berth and uh, made a perfect approach, you know, good speed, everything else. And I just gotten past the first pad. So on this dock at Roberts Bank, it's a wooden dock, but they have big pads that the ship comes and lays alongside. And they're spaced about every 60, 70 feet down the, the face of the dock. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten in past the first pad and I was thinking, okay, probably time to get out of here. So I was just about to back out and the pilot called and said, yeah, you can get out of there now. And just as I started, he also went full astern on the ship's <gasps> end. So that, of course, his wash hit me and blew me farther down. The hull oh of the my. And now I'm trapped between ship and dock. And not only did he push me farther down with his wash, he spun the tug somewhat sideways. So I had to take extra time to twin screw the boat around to start to back out of this gap. And the whole time I'm fighting through his wash. Yeah. And I would head in towards, again, in between these pads. And it was getting to be a bit of a panic situation. And he called for the coastal tug to back full. But again, it takes longer for a coastal tug to come up to swear to pull. Plus, he wasn't in an ideal situation, so he wasn't able to do much to help. And I was running out of time and space very quickly. And I knew that if I didn't get out onto one of these pads, 
I was going to be in big trouble because I, as the ship came onto the pads, it would just push the whole tug right under the dock. And in the end of my career, probably. <laughs> but um, anyways, I was lucky enough to back it out and get the tug onto a pad, take it out of gear, and this ship is coming towards me and it is looming over me. I'm in the shadow of a big ship. And there's a lot of mass and inertia to a ship that size. So I really honestly didn't know what was going to happen when it came alongside the tug. I wasn't sure if it would squish me like a tin can or you know, split the hull and I'd start to sink. I, I really didn't know what was going to happen. So it was, it was pretty scary. And he came and touched down on top of me and a whole lot of squeaking and groaning and creaking. And, and it seemed to last for an eternity, but it finally stopped. And then he came off of me. And then I was able to back out of this whole predicament. And uh, I quickly ran down below, checked all the compartments down below. We weren't taking on water. Everything was fine. So between the pad taking the compression and my rubber on tires and whatnot, wow. was, all that impact. And, and we were, I'd be running down below to do something more than just, more than just yeah. checking to see if I was leaking. I'd I, be the one leaking. I, I, <laughs> it was pretty scary. So oh, I was, my. Yeah. And I've never been in a situation since like that. So. Well, congratulations, because you very much held under a lot of pressure and, and just kept doing what you needed to do. What and you, you stayed with it to have something that frightening happen that early in your career. I think for a lot of people would have made them reconsider. So way to go. And thank you. Boy, when I asked for frightening, <laughs> that would have been, I'm going to turn, turn it around we got to balance this out a bit. What about the most incredible, the most exhilarating experience that you've had? Well, I think um, for me, one of the things I really enjoy out there is um, sunsets and sunrises. Oh, yeah. Now, all, yeah, we've all seen sunsets and sunrises, if not thousands. And I, I always, I never take them for granted. I, I always take in the moment. And there, I've seen some spectacular ones, particularly in the summer with the clear skies. And, mm -hmm. It's really something to see. And then other than that, um, just some wildlife, you know, uh, seeing killer whales, humpback whales. I've had, uh, you know, uh, dolphins chase the boat up by the bow, splashing in our oh, bow, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool to see. And then another phenomenon, too, that you don't see too often, but it's called luminescence. Yes. And, I, and as far as I understand it, I think it's something to do with the phosphorus in the, um, in the plankton or something. And mm -hmm certain time of the year or certain conditions where the plankton blooms and there's phosphorus in it. And if you disturb the water, it's sparkles, literally sparkles. And uh, so I've run through and I don't, you only see it at night, of course, but I've had times where I've been running through that and, and your whole wake behind you is like a white highway. All these sparkly lights behind you. It's really neat to see. And <laughs> if there's a bit of wind, there's sparkles coming off the wave tops and it's. Oh, uh, that would be it, beautiful. It, that would be beautiful. And Malcolm, what about changes? Thank you. And that, that, that would start to balance <laughs> some of those more frightening experiences. Changes in the industry that you've seen in your career. Any, any thoughts, comments? Yep. Well, twofold. First of all, is the tugs themselves, both sides and the types that we've been getting now. Um, you know, when I first started, they were all conventional tugs. And when I say conventional tugs, they're, you know, one to two propellers, several rudders, and a steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And then they came along in the late 80s, uh, early 90s with the tractor tugs, which are specifically designed ship assist and ship escort tugs. So I've seen that evolution. And, you know, when I first started in the harbor, we had tugs that were 400 horse, 500 horse, something like that, up to a maximum. The, the biggest tug we had was 1500 horse. 
So nowadays, the new harbor now, our smallest tugs are 1,800 horse. Wow. And are now starting at uh, 2,400, 3,000, 5,000, and 6,300 horse. Ooh. So that's quite a change in horsepower. And with that, you have a corresponding uh, change in size. Now, you know, the old tugs were maybe 70 to 80 tons, something like that. Now that now these tractors are 300 to 400 tons. They're quite a change. Well, probably the, the freighters and ships that you're bringing in have gotten larger over time well, as well. As well, true, yeah. fair enough, yeah. getting larger. And then the other big change is just in, um, you know, our electronics on the vessel. We've got so much better radars now than we used to have in the old days. We have daylight mm -hmm. screen, screen. We have Erectus, which is electronic chart and uh, uh, information system, display and information system. And uh, that's uh, a wonderful tool, a wonderful uh, aid to your navigation because it's much like a video game, if you will, because you can actually see your chart. It's the same as a paper chart, but you can move your mouse and go anywhere on this chart. And you can enlarge it, make it smaller, whatever you need to do. And you can actually see all your targets moving on the chart. Oh, okay. And, the, and their names. And if you put your mouse over the particular target, it'll give you its course, its speed, its uh, length overall, draft, whatever. It's, it's so much uh, information at your fingertips now. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know who's around you. And if you're waiting for a ship, you can quickly find him on the Ectus. And you can see yeah. he's two or three hours out or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, so. yeah. That said, you would also probably still have to, well, not probably, the ability to still do the charts manually and to... Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, still... Oh, yeah. You know, because electronics yeah. stuff happens. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they still use paper charts to this day. We still have to have them, and, and the coastal navigators will definitely use them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure part of some of the examination that, that you've had to go through. Yeah. Um, and a perfect segue to talking about your new baby, and I'm not talking about the humankind or the puppy that <laughs> is, is slowly becoming a grown-up dog. Uh, I watched a video of you on the water, and it's pretty impressive. Can you tell us about your new boat? Uh, well, yeah, it's new new to us. It was built in 2015, so it's six years old, but for us, that's new. I mean, we still have tugs in our company that are close to 60-odd years old, so it's a new tug, and it's the latest generation of, uh, of escort tug. And uh, one of my favorite things about it is it's quiet. So finally, after all these years working in the Tobo industry, listening to loud diesel engines and racket and, and everything else, the, these boats are very, very quiet. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a nice feature to have. And they're designed for a crew of six, but we're currently running them as uh, shift tugs. So it's just, you know, my deck and myself on here. Mm -hmm. And we have our own cabins. We have our own mess room. We've got a galley. It's stainless steel appliances. We've got all sorts of amenities. We've got a washer dryer down below. We have a, a freezer and uh, we have air conditioning and accommodation. We have air conditioning in the wheelhouse. So it's, it's pretty nice. Mm -hmm, pretty. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you're, spending a, you're spending a lot of time there. Yeah, exactly. And the vessel itself is very maneuverable, lots of power, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy to run. Really enjoy it. Yeah, well, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It's physically beautiful, too. I'm really glad. I think Barb posted a uh, a video of you helping mm -hmm. uh, one of the freighters come in. So Malcolm, for, for listeners considering a similar career path, any thoughts to share? Any, um, anything that might help with, with that consideration? Um, well, first of all, I'd say it's a, it's a wonderful career to get into. It really is. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I mean, you know, we all had our, there are bad days out there as well, but they're definitely outnumbered by the, the good days. And mm -hmm. I've really, it. Um, 
yeah, you want to research companies to see what they have to offer, you know, which various companies throughout the coast up and down. Um, and yeah, you, you, like I say, once you get your uh, bridge watchman's, um, you know, really, really consider it your uh, apprenticeship and, and really apply yourself if it's something mm -hmm. for you. And, you know, sky's the limit. So, yeah. And I know you have talked about at some point in the years coming that you may consider retirement. Is there an opportunity for being one of those on call if that was, you know, someone in your, someone who chose to retire, can you come back and kind of help on a part-time or an on-call basis or? Yeah, some, some of the skippers that have retired previously, they've come back, not necessarily with our company, but with other companies that mm -hmm. uh, they can train. They, you know, they're, they're always looking for training masters, so they might help other companies with some training. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had masters come back uh, in the past, too, to do sort of check rides. They would come in as sort of as a third-party consulting type situation where they would come out with us and, and watch us for the day and sort of see how we were doing, and, and we're still you know, um, efficient at what we do. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's that. Um, but beyond that, you can't, can't retire and then go back and start again. You would have to start from the bottom, so to speak. Oh. You, would, you would lose all your seniority. So you yes, of course. of course, can't do that. But. Okay, okay. But yeah, that yeah. teaching or perhaps even mentoring, yeah. mentoring yeah. somebody who is yeah. considering yeah. a career and just um, being there to answer questions. And um, I just for the amount of time you've spent on the water, it would be very difficult to, you know, it, it's, it's not like your typical office job where no, you can still go into an office at home and sort of plunk away at something, you know, for yeah. spending the kind of time on the water that you do. This is gonna, it's gonna eventually be a huge transition for you and for, for others who retire from this career. Um, yeah, uh, you know, maybe not immediately because I'm, I'm used to having a lot of time off and, and, you know, we have vacation time on top of our time off. So, you know, uh, it would probably take two or three months to really sink in that, oh, I'm not working anymore. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of um, facets of the job that I would definitely miss, uh, you know, the camaraderie of the guys mm -hmm. and just, just the, the fun of running a tug. It really is uh, fun in a lot of ways. So I wouldn't miss all that, but um, by the same token, I'm also looking forward to retirement and all that that brings and mm -hmm. moving on to the chapter of my life. So, Yeah, more of those fishing trips up to Campbell River. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> and bringing home some, some fabulous fish. Yeah. Thank you so very much for making the time. I know I've always been curious and it's, it's just such a delight to actually be able to talk to somebody who is doing what you're doing. And to, to know what, you know, what is it like inside a tugboat? And, and yeah, what is the feeling of, of being out in the water? And yeah, just whether you're, you're towing or, or guiding or somebody who aspires to continue their education and, and actually be on the cruise ships um, is, is a career that, you know, when we went through school, nobody talked to us about this kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, although I think it's a little bit more of that happening. So it's really important to have people like yourself, willing to, to explain. And well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's been great. Yes. I can't think of any other questions unless you've got anything else that you wanted to share that I've not thought to ask you about. Um, I, not off the top of my head, but. Okay, okay. So what I'm gonna do is put information about the BCIT program um, and I'll just, I'll, 
anything else that I think might be helpful to you as, as resources in the, the show notes to this podcast, um, we really hope that you have hope that you have found today's session interesting. And if not for you, uh, I know my own curiosity has been satisfied and it might have been yours as well. And you might know someone who's struggling. What should I do as a career? And um, this is an option that they might want to consider. I'll be back again next week. I hope you will join me as you, you guessed it, dare to soar. Malcolm and Susan signing out for today. We hope you have a great rest of the day. Malcolm, thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. (laughs) Bye for now, everybody. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review, whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.